So our theme for this Advent season has been enlarged in the waiting. Um, it's part of what this uh, art piece is all about. We are adding two tiles to the art piece every season of Advent until we get to Christmas Eve when the centerpiece will be placed. In order to represent for us this unfolding progressive drama of revelation that we get swept up to in Advent, but also as we get swept up into it, we are called to this place of waiting. And we believe that the Lord uses waiting to do an expansive or an enlarging work in our souls to prepare us to receive what God has promised he will ultimately give at Christmas, his son, his very self. So last week we adopted Augustine's prayer as our own during the season of Advent. Oh Lord, the house of my soul is too small for you to come to it. May it be enlarged by you. May it be enlarged by you. As we wait another week for the coming of the Messiah, Luke the evangelist invites us to enter the room where it happened. This painting, which Stacy so beautifully introduced us to, was painted after um, Henry had visited Palestine. So he was able to see what the lighting was like in the buildings. He was able to see um, what people experienced in architecture and culture. And influenced by this, he wanted to paint this unconventional image of the angel Gabriel announcing to Mary that she's going to give birth to the Son of God. And so Mary is shown in her adolescence, dressed as kind of a Middle Eastern peasant, with neither halo nor holy attributes. Just the presence of Gabriel bathing her ordinary life in divine favor. And Luke invites us to stand in that room, in that piercing silence with Mary and Gabriel. This astonishing pause in the mighty works of God. If uh, what's been unfolding before our eyes in the early paragraphs of the Gospel of Luke has been this dazzling display of an active drama. You have a bustling narrative of angels showing up, of priests saying their prayers and entering, entering into the temple, of a righteous wife, of puzzled congregants, and then a tongue that falls silent in the middle of burning incense. But here it's as if Luke slows down the narrative, and he just lingers over this small encounter with the angel and Mary, and he invites us to get into that room. It's as if the great stage of the drama of redemption is narrowing down to a single point, a single parochial village, a single room, and then a single human life within that room. Mary, the virgin from Nazareth. And the way Luke tells the story, he wants us to see this story of Jesus as the continuation and the climax of the story of the Old Testament. The entire trajectory of God's ways with Israel is bearing down upon this singular moment. Think of his covenant mercy and judgments. Think of his guiding and instructing and saving of his favored people. Think of his raising up of prophets and priests and kings and shepherds. Think of his deliverance of the childless and his protection of the fatherless and the widow. 
All of this mighty history of God bearing down on a single point on a narrow moment. And we are invited by Luke the evangelist to stand in that moment, to stand in that room, in that great silence, and to overhear a conversation that stands at the center of salvation history. And there are two things in particular that Luke wants us to ponder, wants us to consider as we stand in that holy space. The first is that God says yes to becoming the son of Mary. And the second is that Mary says yes to becoming the mother of God. God says yes, verses 30 and on. The angel said to her, Mary, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And then that angel unpacks that favor in terms of sonship and kingship. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And then kingship. And the Lord God will give to him the house of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, and his kingdom there, to his kingdom there will be no end. So Gabriel begins by speaking these words of mysterious sonship. This child is going to be born of you, Mary. He's going to be your very flesh and blood. Yet he doesn't become a son when he's born of you. He was a son before you ever existed. Before you were ever born, Mary, there always and already existed a son of the Most High. Before there was ever a tree or a flower or a blade of grass, there was already the son of the Most High God. It's a reality that is reiterated at these key points throughout the Gospel of Luke. When Jesus is baptized, the heavens open and God says, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. On the, on the transfiguration, the heavens open, and God says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And so the first thing that Gabriel wants Mary to know, wants us to overhear, is that Jesus' sonship extends backwards and upwards into the eternal life of Almighty God. What was God doing before the creation of the world, we might ask? He was delighting in his son. That's why the Nicene Creed tells us this is the eternally begotten son of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. And so first Gabriel invites us to ponder this unique and inexpressible and almost um, inexplicable sonship. And then he invites us to consider the kingship, notice, that is going to be given to this son. It's something that the son will receive as a gift. We're told, told that his kingdom will have no end. I think it's kind of the equivalent of what John said in his gospel when he said, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not and cannot and will not overcome it. It's his kingdom will have no end. I mean, history books tell us of stories, and, and our news feeds tell us of stories of thrones that come and go. 
of power that waxes and wanes, of kingdoms that rise and fall. This is the way of the world, always positioning, always posturing for power, as if there's not enough for everybody. But we're invited here to consider a throne that will never rise and fall, to consider a kingdom that will never end, to consider a power that cannot be increased and it cannot be diminished. I mean, just think about this truth for a moment. Think of all that you've seen, all that you've heard, all that you've read this past week. Just, take, just run through it. Omicron variant. Roe v. Wade. School shootings. Sexual harassment and, and confusion. Political division and hatred. And, and the list could go on and on. Just think of all the things you've heard and you've read and you've seen and, and you've experienced in just one week. What Angel is saying to Gabriel is that none of that will outlast or overpower the rule and the reign of this child. None of that will outlast or overpower the rule and reign of this child. God has said yes to becoming the son of Mary. But will Mary say yes to becoming the mother of God? As the conversation unfolds, we're kind of left in suspense at first, right? Like, how, how in the end is Mary actually ultimately going to answer this announcement? Mary has received one who stands in the presence of the Lord. And Gabriel has told Mary, nothing is impossible with God. But what will Mary say? Of course, I think it seems natural for many of us to go, well, obviously the answer is yes. I mean, if, if anybody understands just some smidgen or semblance of what we mean by the word God, then is there any other choice than just to say yes? I mean, didn't the angel himself say nothing is impossible with God? Isn't this just a certain bowing to the inevitable? And yet, Mary doesn't know what this yes could cost her yet. She doesn't know what the future will hold. For all she knows, it could cost her her marriage. And in Matthew's gospel, we see that it almost does. It could cost her her family and her community and her reputation and her social and economic protection. For a young Jewish girl in that time and place to become pregnant outside of wedlock could cost you almost everything. And so as we stand in that room, as we wait to hear her answer, we wait with Almighty God who himself waits to hear her answer. And then her word of self-offering breaks the sacred silence. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She accepts, not reluctantly, but wholeheartedly. Not sheepishly, but courageously. Not ignorantly, but trustingly. Mary speaks a word of obedience and praise. She utters the human yes to God Almighty's yes to humanity. 
And here, I don't think we're to, to imagine Mary as being weak or, or meek or, or overly passive or pliant. Her obedience, her assent, her acknowledgement, her welcome is what a creature can do only when it stands in the presence of God Almighty and has already been touched and enabled by His grace. She embraces God's will with courage, with a simple dignity, and with an unhesitating freedom. Only Mary's son, the holy child of God, can and will do more than that. Only Mary's son will be able to be in the Garden of Gethsemane and utter the word yes, and that flame out into the salvation of the whole world. Only Mary's son will hang from the cross and say, it is finished and no more words need be spoken. But Mary, Mary does all that a mere creature touched by grace can do. She says yes. Sometimes we speak of being in seasons where we're waiting for an answer from God. Maybe you're in a place like that today. But may it also be that Advent is a season where God is graciously waiting for an answer from us. May our lives learn from Mary's. May we pause in that holy silence in the midst of the hustle and the bustle and see the great thing that is taking place amongst us. Emmanuel is coming. May our speech echo Mary's. May grace stand before us like a column of light. And may we become this day one who waits upon the Lord as that day he waited upon Mary for her holy answer.